0: Whoa!
1: Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host. And I can't believe that we we are already into what I would call and what is known as the dog days of summer, those hot days and oftentimes dry days of summer, something like our desert experience. And providentially, in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we do celebrate some monastics, and monasticism came from the desert. We celebrate Athanasius of Mount Athos, and also Anthony of the Caves. Monasticism, as I mentioned, started in the desert. The desert experience is something very significant to the spiritual life. It's not just a matter of monks that went out there in the deserts of Egypt, but there's something else to this idea of the desert experience and even why monasticism flowered in the desert. In fact, Jesus Christ allowed himself to be taken, led out to the desert by Satan and to be tempted in the desert before Christ began his ministry. And of course, he resisted those temptations, overcame the power of the devil, showed that he was God and not the devil But the desert experience is something that goes beyond just monks from long ago living in a dry, hot climate. The desert experience is very much actually a part of spirituality, in particular Eastern spirituality. It's actually a part of our own spirituality, or it ought to be once we understand what the desert experience is. Now, we have the monastics as great examples of that. They live the desert experience physically and on the other levels that we're going to talk about today. It's one of the reasons why they are attracted to the desert. The desert experience is, yes, it is in one sense a flight. The early Christians fled to the desert. They fled because they were actually at the same time doing the opposite which is what the desert experience really is about. It's not just fleeing, it is encountering. It is running towards something. The early Christians, this is starting in about the 3rd century, actually began to mourn over the fact that they would no longer have a chance to be blood martyrs. Can you imagine that? They wanted to be martyrs. Not that they wanted to die for its own sake, or they wanted to commit suicide, nothing like that they wanted a dramatic witness to Christ. And certainly, dying for Christ, as those that came before them did, was a witness they saw and admired. But Christianity began to become legalized at that point. When again, we're talking about the third centuries AD. Now, there were still persecutions from time to time, and still are even today. But the big persecution, the early persecution of Christianity began to abide. And in its place, Christianity became more legal, began to spread. So, these very, very devout, faithful people still longed to have and to make a dramatic witness. So, they fled. They'd fled from the temptations, they fled from what they thought was anything but a total gift of their self to God, a total denial of all other of fallen passions, a total denial of any selfishness and narcissism, of vices. They wanted to pursue virtue and holiness. So they fled. But in fleeing, as I mentioned, they were actually moving towards encounter. The desert is a place that, yes, we flee, but it is more so a place of encounter. In the desert, we encounter many things in terms of climate that challenge us physically. But that is actually a metaphor for the other kind of challenge that we encounter in the desert. And that is the challenges to our psycho-spiritual health. The desert experience tended to strip the monks naked, spiritually, psychologically speaking. In other words, they began to learn about themselves. They couldn't hide from themselves. All pretense was stripped away. And they began to see their own sinfulness very vividly to the point where they would have what's called the gift of tears. They would cry and mourn with compunction over their sin. So they had a very, very vivid picture of who they were in light of God. They couldn't hide from themselves. The desert is not a place to hide from self. It is a place to hide or flee from temptations or things that are not of our self. but it's actually a place to encounter our real selves. Now that also includes our most glorious self. The monks acquired tremendous abilities, superhuman abilities, miraculous abilities because they grew in such holiness. One of the most famous pieces of literature in all of Eastern Christianity are, in fact, the stories of the monks, such as the Philokalia and the sayings of the Desert Fathers. And these stories, some of them are just amazing, the powers that these monks had as they grew in holiness. But the encounter in the desert is also an encounter primarily of the encounter of our souls, of our inner selves. Which means, and according to especially Eastern Christian spirituality, the desert experience must always be a part of our own experience whether we become monks or not whether we flee to a desert or not there is still that desert experience and there must be for real spiritual growth and that desert experience happens actually in every area and level of our life especially if we're open to it we see it that way we see life that way for example the desert experience involves, obviously, solitude, and there's oftentimes a kind of darkness to that. Well, that's the case in prayer in our prayer life. When we're really serious about prayer and the different rhythms of prayer, prayer can have a certain darkness to it. In other words, Christ can seem very far away from us. We can be very desolate in our souls, feel very alone. Prayer is a cry of our heart to God the cry of someone who seems to be alone in the desert. The desert is a frightful place. In fact, the desert was a place in which the monks would encounter demons. Yes, they, they fled the demons of the urban settings, but they encountered other demons in the desert, especially demons within themselves. Prayer is a process of going deep into ourselves, and it's very revelatory. We learn a lot about ourselves. Like the desert, prayer exposes us. It, it exposes our Relationship to God. How intimate is it? How real is it? How distant is it? Is it phony? Is it growing? Is it deep? And when we pray, now there are different forms of prayer, of course, but the type of prayer that's the desert prayer is that prayer in which we do it in solitude, where it's very, very, very much a situation of just God in ourselves, our deepest selves, where we cry out to God from our deepest selves, our souls, our our hearts. Deep singular prayer. Another word for this I would use is spousal prayer. It's a prayer of intimacy, like between a husband and wife, intimacy that only a husband and wife can have. So too it is with our prayer life with Christ. And that is a desert experience. It's frightful too. That's why a lot of times we don't pray, we don't develop a prayer life. It's a very fearful thing to be that close to God and to be that aware of our inner self, and that's what real prayer does. It exposes us, exposes who we are, but like I said before, it also exposes what is good. It exposes the Christ within us, and that's why true prayer, while it can have a lot of darkness to it, a lot of desert to it, aloneness, it can have at the same time ultimately a lot of joy and peace, which again is what was experienced in the desert. Why else would monks go to the desert and stay there their whole lives? It wasn't just to make themselves miserable. Yes, they did great penance there and they suffered. They did a lot of what we call asceticism, which is rigors, rigorous practices like fasting and long prayer, but they wouldn't have stayed out there. It would have been, in a sense, strange or even perverted for them to stay in a place which would have been just a place of misery. It was not that. It was also a place they found great peace and great joy because they found intimacy with God as they encountered themselves and repented and stripped away, stripped away their false selves and acquired their real and most authentic holiest selves. So prayer is our desert experience. And as I keep saying, learning from our monks, we need to have the desert experience. We need to see how it exists in every dimension of our life. Take another example, Marriage. Now, might wonder, how can marriage be a desert experience? Well, actually, in the Eastern spirituality, marriage must have a very significant dimension of monasticism to it. In fact, in the Russian Orthodox tradition, it was traditional to look at engagement time as a monastic novitiate. And when a couple got married, they spent the first several days of their marriage in a monastery. A right, in a monastery. They started out becoming monks, so that they could become happily married people. So they would start off with a desert experience in the very beginning of their marriage. And every married couple, and this would be my greatest wish for every married couple, is that they would all become good monks. Now, it may sound contradictory, but the desert is a place of seeming contradiction. As I mentioned, it is fleeing and encountering all at the same time. Darkness and joy all at the same time. Think about marriage. What makes it work? What ultimately makes it happy? When the couple dies to themselves, especially their false self, and lives for the other. That's monasticism. That's a desert experience within marriage. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the various ways that we should and do experience the desert in our spirituality and our lives. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
0: It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian Spirituality, You're listening to Father Thomas
1: Loya on Light of the East. Saving Jews from the Holocaust in a wheelchair.
0: And now a Sheptitsky Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. Archbishop Andrei Sheptitsky was born in 1865 in western Ukraine. He was an aristocrat who gave up his wealth to become a monk. He then led the Greco-Catholic Church in Ukraine through two world wars. Exiled to Russia for three years during World War I, Shiptitsky never again enjoyed good health. From 1929 until his death in 1944, he worked from a wheelchair. From that wheelchair, Shiptitsky coordinated efforts to save hundreds of Jews during the Holocaust. Next time, we'll tell you more about the archbishop, who at the height of the Holocaust wrote, a lack of love is the source of every hardship and misery. Love is the very substance of all of God's revelation. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit ca That's S A T P T Y T S K Y Institute.ca.
1: Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas lawyer your host here in the dog days of summer where we're experiencing our desert experience in more than one way and we're talking especially on the level of the psycho spiritual. And we're saying that the desert experience is very, very much a part of Eastern Christian spirituality and it's something that we do have and must have. It's a matter of recognizing it and going with it, embracing it, living it. We tend to want to run from things that are unpleasant. but sometimes those unpleasant things when they are embraced turn out to be very joyful things, life transforming things. So we talked about the desert experience in marriage. Married couple being good monks, dying to self, rising to the other. And in order to do that, you have to practice asceticism. In other words, you have to have self control. You have to continually be patient, die to self, defer to the other. A married couple lives out their baptismal promise, and that's what monasticism does in a very, very radical way. And radical, we mean going to the root. The root of it doesn't mean crazy, it means radical, real. Married couples become happy to the degree they become good monks. And by that I mean to the degree that they have the element of monasticism, of the desert experience in their marriage. Another way they have the desert experience is in realizing that that other person can never be the sum total of your own personal fulfillment and happiness. Yes, you can be happy in marriage, and we hope everyone is. That's why One of the reasons God created marriage is that we would be happy. We could experience the joy, the very life of the Trinity through marriage. But there's a point when a couple, each one, the husband and wife, has to keep in mind and realize that the other person can never be totally everything they need them to be. That only Christ can be that. That Christ is our ultimate spouse, ultimate lover. And the closer the couple individually comes to Christ. In other words, the more they do what monks do, they put Christ first. They know that he is our first focus of love. The more they do that, the more they love each other. So that's how it works. It doesn't work by the couple just moving towards each other entirely. They have to move individually towards God, and by doing so, they move towards each other. So there is an aspect of marriage spirituality in which the couple has to develop their own individual prayer life, that they go into their own individual deserts to have intimacy with God as individuals in order to have intimacy with each other. It's one of the most important things and helpful things a married couple can do. See, in our culture, we tend to be very dichotomous. We see monasticism, therefore celibacy, as being diametrically opposed to marriage, but actually one subsists in the other. One helps to define and enrich the other. So the more a married couple individually can become, I'll put it in those terms, good monks, in other words, they embrace their own individual desert experience, the closer they will become as a couple. I guarantee you it's one of the secrets of marriage. What about family? Talk about marriage. Family. In family, we have the desert experience as well, similar to marriage itself. In that, we realize that as important as family is, as much as it can help us become happy and fulfilled and how necessary it is, each person of family has to realize and develop a spirituality where they go to the desert, where it's they and God alone, where they develop a spirituality where God is number one. And realizing that family, no matter how good, how joyful, how happy a family is, can never replace God as our first love. That's the desert experience. Also in family, desert experience is in putting up with each other. Oh yes, (laughs) it can be difficult. There can be great fights and estrangements in families that can go on for far too long. That's a call to enter the desert experience. Once again, that means asceticism, holding back, loving, not being selfish, dying to self, thinking of the other, living for the other. This can be a real challenge in families but entering into that challenge individually, individual members of family, is a way of entering into their desert experience. They encounter God so as to encounter one another more lovingly. Related to that would be the single life. Now, single people today have, almost by default, a very palpable sense of the desert experience. And oftentimes, they're not happy with it. They don't like it. They think it's a deficit. They're not happy that they're single. They're not happy in their singleness. They wonder why they're not married. But the single life, by default, carries with it that desert experience. In other words, if you don't have a spouse, then it is actually that much more, by default, or directly, that you can and must go to Christ. You must live a self-donative life, to live spousally, even though you're not married. And you can do that for many people, not just one. In other words, your, your love, your self-giving, does not have to be exclusive. It can be very inclusive. You can love many, give yourself to many. But what enriches the single life, and a single life is not easy, we cannot walk it alone, has to be, first and foremost, that single focus, that reliance, that direct movement in prayer towards God. That's how a single person can live out their singleness in a virtuous and fruitful way. But that's their desert experience. And they're in a desert experience in the fact that they oftentimes feel alone. They feel like a fifth wheel. They feel left out. Remember, the desert is a place where people go and experience aloneness. I didn't necessarily say loneliness. They can experience loneliness, but not necessarily loneliness. The better word is aloneness. Aloneness before God. And before themselves. This desert experience, by default or by conscious developing it, conscious embracing it, is one of those things that can make the single life much more fruitful instead of just a tragedy or an undesirable state. Speaking of tragedy, a desert experience certainly happens amidst tragedy. When we work out tragedy, we oftentimes, especially in a case of grieving, we oftentimes have to go alone. If we go into our cave, go into our deserts, the desert of our soul and our psyche, and that's a good thing, but we can't stay there. Remember, the desert is there to transform us so that we can continue to witness and preach the gospel, grow in holiness and inspire others to love others. The desert is not about narcissism, about selfishness. It's not about withdrawing into self. Yes, withdrawing from certain things only so as to encounter rise to other things. And this is what happens or should happen even in the midst of tragedy. We enter deep into ourselves to realize virtues and qualities, limitations that maybe we did not know before. And then in that tragedy, we have one place to turn ultimately, and that is to God. Sometimes it's the God who has hurt us. The very God whom we might want to be fleeing from is the one to whom we must turn first in tragedy. We work out tragedy on our own. At the same time, there is a communal dimension to it, just like monasticism. Monasticism, even the hermits, were never devoid totally of a communal dimension because we are made in the image and likeness of God, and God is trinity. God is communal. So we are by nature communal. Even though with monasticism, the desert experience, there's a profoundly singular dimension to it, at the same time, we are never totally singular. So we experience and work out tragedy in community but there's also the desert, the individual desert experience that we must embrace in tragedy. And everybody experiences it their own way. Their desert experience is their own, is not to be told by someone else how to experience our personal deserts, especially in light of tragedy. So we go to the deserts of our soul, and our psyche, our heart in tragedy, but we don't stay there. It's a balance. Now the desert, as I mentioned, is not just a negative or dark place, a frightening place. It is all that. At the same time, the desert experience, just like the physical desert, is a place of wonderment, a place of peace, a place of joy. We can have a desert experience, and we should in our spirituality, of joy. That's right. There are, sometimes there are moments of joy, experiences of joy, and intimacy with God That we absolutely just cannot describe or share with others. It is ours alone. It's similar to that spells or prayer I talked about. It's a kind of a it's an intimate experience, a joy that no one can take from us, a joy that we know alone, we and God. We know this joy more than we can describe. And so the desert experience can be also an experience of an unique, personal, undescribable joy. Along with that is contemplation. The desert experience in our lives is about always being in a constant state of contemplation. Now, when we think of a contemplation, it's not just sitting around staring off into space. And give an example. I was driving in the car with my cousin, Father Joseph Loya, who was on our program last week, and it was a beautiful summer day, and all of a sudden, against the blue sky, he saw a white bird soaring past our car in the sky, but but fairly nearby. And in the middle of our conversation, he just looked at that and said, oh, look at that, look at that. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that pretty? Isn't that beautiful? The brilliant white of the bird just soaring effortlessly against the blue sky. And thought to myself, see, in that spontaneous moment, that's prayer. That's contemplation. That's unique touch with God that interrupted our conversation, interrupted everything else. And all we could do, especially my cousin, was focus on that one thing spontaneously. It just grabbed you. See, that's contemplation. Yes, it can be where we sit down and we seem to go off in our own world. That, that's contemplation as well. But it can also be momentary and spontaneous. The point is, contemplation is that constant awareness, perception of God in a very real way that oftentimes, like our joy, is unspeakable. The desert is a place of encounter, of darkness, and of joy. Very much a part of Eastern Christian spirituality, and it should be a part of our own. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
0: To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the radio button. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media.
1: Thank you for listening. Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Willcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years.